Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps Americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority. Ravi, it is a very exciting day. How are you? You know, I'm pumped. We have a special guest, Jason. Uh, You want to introduce her for our audience? Yeah. Uh, So everybody hears at the end of the show, they hear us thank Edie Allard as one of the producers of the show. And we have convinced Edie to not just produce this episode, but also be a part of this episode. And so now she's trying to do uh, multiple things at once. And she confessed to us a moment ago that she's kind of nervous. Uh, So welcome, Edie. Hello, everybody. I'm pulling double duty this time. I'm sure it's going to go great. But anyway, all right. This is the part where I say, Ravi, what's going on? Well, one of the reasons why we have Edie on today is because we wanted to wade into the most controversial of subjects, and we wanted to at least bring a little bit more diversity of opinion and perspective. Uh, and that subject that we want to hit today is this Chappelle special that that has been making its way through the memedoms and uh, Netflix and cross American society. And for those who haven't seen this special, essentially, you know, he makes fun of a lot of people and has a lot of content about trans people that has caused quite a controversy both inside of Netflix and outside of it. You canceled J.K. Rowling. My God, J.K. Rowling wrote all the Harry Potter books by herself. And they canceled her because she said in an interview, and this is not exactly what she said, but effectually, she said gender was a fact. And then the trans community got mad as shit. They started calling her a turf. I'm team turf. I agree. We want to talk about both what this means for our politics, because it's become almost a symbolic political battleground, but also just the substance of it all. Uh, and, and you know, we're going to become comedy critics here. So, Jason, you watched this recently. What were your impressions of it? So, all right, I watched it knowing about the controversy. And so Diana and I watched it and we kind of were like, OK, let's let's watch for this part. Like, you know, let's watch the special, but also... We were very curious about whether there was going to be a moment where we were going to be like, oh, that is really, really across the line, obvious. And like, I definitely and, and look, I'm I'm not the most well versed in this stuff. And so I, there were definitely moments where I'm like, oh, I can I can see why people are upset. But I guess what I was expecting was like a really, really obvious thing. And I don't think that it's not that it wasn't obvious. I think that it's more like for me, I I take people at their word, like if people say like that there's language in there that I'm not familiar with, that is going to be uh, a problem that maybe I just didn't know what to listen for. So I, yeah, that's kind of why I brought this up the other day is I was like, 
I, I went out of it going, I'm not sure how to understand the controversy because like as we as we speak right now, there's a walkout going on, I think, at at Netflix about this. And so it's really a free speech situation. So I want to be clear. I'm not saying like I don't get it. I'm just saying I, I wanted to discuss it more so that I could better understand the controversy. And then Edie said in our meeting, Edie was like, well, I've actually read quite a bit about this. Uh, and we were like, congratulations, Edie, you're part of the episode. <laughs> yes. And how exciting it is to be my first episode being this issue of all issues. But, you know, I'm 25. I'm very on the Internet. So I feel like, you know, I could offer a slightly different perspective, just sort of the perspective of explaining what to us the old problem men. might be right. Of course, I was yeah. trying not to say it in so many words. No, but, no, yeah. you just dropped your age. It was perfectly done. <laughs> well, give it, give it to us, Edie. Let's uh, let, let's get the counter to Jason. So I, I'm I'm comfortably not talking yet on this this segment. So yeah, well, Robbie, I know here. you came prepared. So I definitely <laughs> you're the wild card here. I don't know what you're gonna say, but I think it's important to caveat that like I. Don't speak for everyone on this issue. I think there is a diversity of opinion on this issue and we shouldn't treat people like a monolith. That said, I feel that a lot of the misunderstanding around this issue right now surrounds some of the language that Chappelle used that maybe some people have very different feelings about. So in the special, he used the word turf and he said, I'm team turf, which might have actually been the first time that a lot of people heard that word. Uh, it was the first you time guys... I had ever heard that word. Yeah, yeah, totally. For some people, that word just came up for the first time during the special. For other people, that word actually has a lot of baggage and kind of suggests violence in and of itself. So for those of our listeners who don't know, turf means trans-exclusionary radical feminist. It, it's kind of this pejorative term, turf. A lot of these people in this group call themselves gender critical. And what they really are is a political movement that is sort of anti-trans. They perform often with the public veneer of saying, you know, they're concerned or they're just asking questions or they're just saying sex is real. But really, these are dog whistles for a kind of insidious political goal that they have. What TERFs mean when they say, I just think sex is real, is that it's impossible to be really trans or that there's no way that someone can transition their gender successfully and fulfill a different social role. TERFs often, you know, they mock trans people. They speak openly about how all trans women are just like trying to pretend to be women so they can gain access to these spaces in a harmful way. Uh, there's this clear vitriol and lack of respect sometimes that leaks out into public, but usually there's this sort of gentle questioning seeming outward appearance. But at the end of the day, whether they say things in a nice way or a mean way is totally irrelevant. They're all vying for the same political goal, which is things like gender bathroom bills, which, by the way, Chappelle called mean in the special as part of a joke. And they also want to outlaw trans resources, which includes things like therapy for trans youth, which is basically suicide prevention. So I think a lot of People in the trans community are hearing that word turf and hearing things, hearing Dave Chappelle say things like he's on team turf gives that movement legitimacy because they're constantly looking for public allies. There's this gap in understanding where people here who are hearing that term for the first time or are less familiar with it don't realize that it has all this baggage, whereas another community is jumping straight to the deep, insidious political goals of this group and saying, Oh, he's legitimizing that. He's giving them exactly what they want, which is public allies who are saying their name and 
making it seem like they have a legitimate point to make instead of just, you know, political obstruction and harm. Yeah. Part of what I think is tough in this debate is we're taking a comedy act and asking what is serious and what isn't. You know, so there was another example where he called himself transphobic comedian Dave Chappelle. Right. And I think that's up for interpretation as to what he was saying there. Right. And to me, the way he was looking at the audience when he said that, I think he said that twice, implies that he doesn't think he's transphobic, right? And I think like there's all these moments in the special where you have to interpret what is Dave Chappelle trying to do, right? And I think there's another layer to this, which is how do you treat comedy versus political commentary, right? And I think everybody draws the line in different places. And, you know, for me, at least, I tend to take a pretty broad view of what's allowed in comedy uh, because I think that it's hard to create the space for comedy if we're bringing to it an exacting critical theory lens. Uh, it would be like the least funny comedy of all time. And I'm willing to tolerate a lot more things than other people. And and that also applies to me, for example. Like, I wouldn't want to take down The Simpsons because of Pooh as a character, for example. And even though there's many inconvenient things about that character as a kid, um, I still laugh at it, even though it's like kind of like, as many Indians have pointed out, a problematic character. I still can laugh and also say, hey, maybe we are not necessarily create that character again, but I wouldn't want to take it down. And that's just speaking for me, for example. Or like this weekend... Saturday Night Live, they were making fun of Staten Islanders on Saturday Night Live because of Pete Davidson, Rami Malek, um, basically said all Staten Islanders are racist cops or something. And I, I'm a, I could both laugh at that and kind of be like, man, that's kind of a bummer. But what I think that's, I think fascinating about this debate is the divide in the public. There's like a 95% Rotten Tomatoes score for this, uh, which for the audience is like a rating site for movies, if you don't know. And then there's a 95% audience likes it. And I think something like 45% of critics uh, and I think that has become this meme that's being deployed around our political spectrum, including in, in places where I'm not sure it really belongs, like in the Gruden cancellation, which we talked about last week. But I think that like these critics, I, you could both read, like, for instance, Roxane Gay and Saeed Jones, like, you know, two sort of very prominent pieces that have been kicked around and say there's some good points in here. Like, for example, that comedy is not above criticism, uh, while also having some issues. Like, I think in almost all of these pieces... There's no mention of the fact that he takes shots at cops, at women, at Jews, for example. So I think the hardest hitting joke in there was about Jewish people, low income white people. He basically calls them all heroin addicts. Uh, and I think like part of what I think people are uncomfortable with is is almost a point that Chappelle makes, which is he seems to think that there are double standards uh, about what you can and cannot make fun of. And I think I'm interested in that part of the conversation uh, as well as uh, whether he crossed the line with the trans stuff. He also, what I found interesting about it that I haven't seen really spoken to much in the criticism, and I don't mean like they're pretending you didn't say it. I mean, it's like I haven't really heard a real thoughtful rebuttal to this, which is that he was, I what I read him saying was, my problem is not with trans people. He was saying my problem is with white people. Like, I mean, he literally said that. He was like, he goes, if you've if you've watched my comedy for many, many years, like I've been talking about the same people the whole time, white people. And I think he was saying, I have a problem with people who are a minority until they don't want to be. Like, basically, like he was relaying anecdotes where he's like, I where he gets confronted by a trans person who then 
I think the way he put it was like retreats into their whiteness when they engage him, right? Like, which I kind of feel like that's an interesting cultural conversation. It may also be a transphobic conversation, which is where you get where it's a scary thing where I don't know if I'm I may be saying something totally wrong right now. And maybe people will explain that to me. Well, I wish he would have he would have done it better because I definitely think there are intersections to be discussed here. I'm curious, Jason, about what you thought of space juice. <laughs> I, that, that joke, that joke. I was like, first of all, I laughed really hard at that joke. And that joke, I think, is also a good it's a, I was thinking about this a minute ago, Ravi, when you were talking about it, that that joke is a good example of like how the line gets crossed in this stuff, because that joke was really funny. And I was like, damn, like, I was like, that was funny. And ooh, it hurt a little. And then, and then I thought about it as if half the show or more were those jokes, would I feel differently as a Jew? And I think I would. And that's, and that I think goes to where, how the trans community is feeling. Like, so while I was watching it thinking, okay, am I going to hear something where I'm going to go, oh, that was over the line. And like Edie explained the turf thing, which I was completely unfamiliar with until Edie explained it just now. Like, I'll be honest, I had no idea that that was one of the major stepping over the line things. I understand that now because Edie explained, I didn't get that when I watched the show. But if half or more of the show had been jokes like, which again, Space Jews, very good joke. But if half or more of the show had been that, I might feel very differently about the show, which I think brings you sort of to where the trans community may be or some people in the trans community may be on on that on hit that special. I mean, it's really tough because ultimately his special is this mixture of clear jokes and really clear not jokes, like just anecdotes like and stories. He throws commentary it's commentary, really. Yeah. And I feel like that sort of allows him to step back and say that anything is a joke if people criticize it or, you know, kind of take credit for making this sort of social commentary. And then also it allows people who are emboldened by the things he says to be like, well, this part wasn't a joke. This part was actually just social commentary. And, you know, some of these jokes that he's making about trans people, they don't quite walk that line correctly between making jokes about the right thing that are a little bit hurtful and but also, you know, hilarious and biting. I think a lot of his jokes sort of come down to trans people are gross. Like <laughs> some of his jokes sort of come down to that. In one thread by a trans employee uh, at Netflix who was suspended after trying to get into a meeting uh, with her bosses and then eventually reinstated. She she had this thread on Twitter where she listed all of these trans people who had been killed in hate crimes. And I think a lot of the time, these hate crimes become possible because of this cultural idea of like trans people are not people or they're not valid or they're disgusting or things like this. So while I think it would be a stretch to say that Chappelle's jokes are like directly threatening trans people, which I do think some people are saying it like contributes to that cultural cloud that is you know, this cloud has thoughts like, oh, trans people are gross. Trans people are weird. It's not like making jokes in a sort of artful way that sidesteps that conversations. It's making jokes about things that are like the reason why trans people aren't getting the rights they deserve. And then he kind of turns around and says, well, I don't hate trans people or I love trans people. I have this whole story about Daphne, my trans friend. 
all of that was like touching and I appreciated him saying that. But then it's contradicted by his actions. Like he seems to not realize the harm that he's causing, which is what makes this special so difficult to talk about. I know that the fall is a particularly busy time for a lot of people as, you know, people have come back from summer vacations and deadlines are looming. And I just know it could be really stressful. So that's where BetterHelp comes in. It's going to help assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Remember, it's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online and you could just send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get timely, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video and phone sessions. And the service is available for clients worldwide and you could find the particular expertise you need online and you don't need to limit yourself to counselors located near you. They have licensed professionals who specialize in depression, stress or anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts or LGBT matters, or grief, or self-esteem. If you want to start living a happier life today, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com m54. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com m54. Times are crazy right now. You know, high inflation, supply chain woes, all sorts of employment problems stemming from the pandemic. So I know that can really be hard on people's wallets. And that's where Upstart comes in. They're the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. And whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. Rather than looking at credit score alone, Upstart considers other factors like your income, your current employment, and credit history to find a smarter rate for your loan. You could check your rate without impacting your credit score in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. And you can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com majority54. That's upstart.com majority54. And don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. That's upstart.com majority54. There's this anecdote from the roasting community that I was thinking about as all this went down, which I think it was Jeff Frost, who's like the master roaster that everybody says. By the way, if you've ever watched any of these roasts, there's no standard that anybody's bringing to this that would allow those no, things to stay up, which is why yeah. I generally leave comedy alone by and large. Like I, because it's just almost nothing that would survive because every, like, so many specials are insane. There are exceptions now where some of the newer comedy, like a Saminaj or Mike Perbiglia or whatever, it's some of it's different, right? But there's so much historical comedy that would just never. I think that's one of the reasons why Netflix has resisted taking this down is that there's there's no bright line here. But um, you know, Jeff Ross, I think it was Jeff Ross said something interesting, which was he once was approached by an audience member who was in a wheelchair who asked him to roast them and about their physical disability. And the person who asked to be roasted said, "You know, so many people are so afraid to make fun of me." that that's what makes me feel different, not the making fun. And did I don't think Chappelle hit this note perfectly, right? And so there, I have a different sort of like comedic, like am I, am I grading him as a co comedian or as a commentator? I think that's what complicates the style that he, he gave the special. And I think the big debate, Jason, to your point, and Edie, your point is like, 
how much is too much, right? How much is is malicious? Like, like are there certain wording choices that are too malicious or not? And for me, that's why, like, where I come down is leave it up, have the debate. He's not immune to criticism. But I, I can understand that making fun of somebody can have many different contours in the comedic realm. I think when we're talking about whether or not we should remove something or whether or not speech should be censored or taken down, it's a question of like harm, whether it's like direct threat, what harm does this cause? And I think in this case, the harm we're talking about is legitimizing the TERFs, people who are constantly looking for public allies. And of course, adding to the cloud that I described earlier of, you know, this like transgender people are weird and gross sort of cloud. That said, I feel like in both of those cases, the harm has been done. The special has been up. And are they even worthy of being taken down in the first place? I don't think so. I think it's it's too nebulous to take something down. Those things aren't solid enough of threats, in my opinion. And then on the other hand, if you take something down at this point, you're just martyring him, essentially, even though Chappelle wouldn't be impacted negatively very much. He would probably be benefited from this as he has been benefited from being canceled. He said he loves being canceled because of all of the positive press he's getting and the show is getting. That said, I just don't think taking it down would do anything at this point. Uh, It would just cause further harm. We should leave it up, allow people to see the entire thing and debate it, as you're saying, Ravi. Yeah. For our listeners, what's applicable about this and the reason that we wanted to talk about it is because this is grist for the mill for the right wing of like, look at all this cancellation stuff. And there's nothing they like more than somebody who they would, you know, demographically and usually opinion wise see as somebody who would be on the left. I mean, like, you know, Chappelle has been, for instance, like pretty vocal about not being a fan of of Donald Trump. You know, they they love to take that kind of thing and then throw it back at us and go like, oh, well, are you going to cancel him or not? You can are you not? Are you going to leave this up? And and I think it's interesting here because like what we're saying is like Edie's point is that, you know, there are things in here that could cause harm. And, you know, I, I was just thinking the other day how great it is that Donald Trump is still not allowed on Twitter because I think he has said things that could cause harm. I think we have to admit that there is a potential you know, inconsistency there. If I if I feel like Donald Trump should continue to not be allowed on Twitter, but you know, Dave Chappelle's special should be left up. Now, I think that it's by degree, it's a big difference, right? I mean, like Donald Trump incited a violent insurrection at the Capitol. And also he's not funny um, at all. Yeah, He's not a comedian, uh, so although he's <laughs> not a comedian. Yeah. 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 That's where I draw the it's, line. It's a different, yeah, it's a different, it is definitely a different category. Like if you were thinking in the public figure category and, and in the culture, but, but anyway, I, I think that it, we have to have this conversation because you have to be ready for the Ben Shapiro listeners of the world to come to you with, well, what do you say about this? Yeah. Right. I think that when the right is trying to frame cancel culture as this power, as you guys mentioned, you know, really recently on the show, that's coming for you next. Important to note that people criticizing the show is also their exercise of free speech. So in that case, it's a free speech versus free speech debate here. And even people doing walkouts and things like that, like this movement to cancel Dave Chappelle hasn't really done much. It hasn't demonstrated a power that has harmed him in any way. I think. It's really just bolstered him again, as these things often do. So, I mean, important to point that out. Yeah. I also think like if you look at the special in its entirety, it's pretty clear that what he's trying to do is initiate a conversation about 
what you can cancel him for. Like the yes. special is basically yeah, 100%. him daring people to cancel him. I mean, yeah. he says almost under his breath multiple times, like I'm going all the way this time. Like he yeah. calls it the closer. He says, you're not going to hear from me for a while after this. Like yeah. the, 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 the space Jews joke The you know, I mean, the jokes he made about like, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Me Too movement, and like, like it is very clear that he sat down, right or wrong, and he was like, "I'm gonna write a special that goes as far as humanly possible." And I dare, he's like, "I dare them to cancel me." Like right. he's basically like, like he's saying, like, "You think I'm the greatest comedian out there, and I'm gonna say some shit that anybody else gets canceled for, and you're not gonna cancel me because you want to hear more." Yeah, I want to make sure that like. That's not a defense of anything he said, but it it is worthy of discussion that he he seems to have achieved that. Yeah, this is where it's like so much of what he did is up for interpretation, in my opinion. I think there are other parts of it, like Edie, I agree. There are some parts of it that seem more direct than comedic. Uh, and like, again, it's like the, the thing is, like so many of us in our generation, Edie, like representing the old people's generation, you know, <laughs> Chappelle to to pe- me and people around me and this crosses political boundaries democrat republican etc he is a hero uh and so i think that the amount of leeway that we give him is so much more than the average person and i think he knows that and part of what he was doing was saying i have an instinct about where you are on this cancellation thing and i'm going to test how far i could really take you and that's exactly what he's done you know uh and i think for a lot of us it's like you could love Chappelle and not agree with everything he says. And then the question is, where do you draw the line? Right. And I think that's like that's a big part of this debate. Can I also say one more thing, which is that I think it's telling that at the end of the special, he pretty much says, OK, look, I'm not going to talk about this subject anymore for yeah, a very no long more jokes time about you guys. Yeah. Which is like which he frames as because we can't seem to agree on whether these are jokes. So I'm not going to do it anymore. But to your point, Ravi, about he is on such a pedestal for us, then the the question becomes what Edie was talking about is if somebody has, and I think they do, an extra responsibility to understand the power of their words and the, their power to um, you know put shine on a group that's looking for it that shouldn't have it when they when they occupy that space in our culture. And it's it's just a really complicated question. Yeah, and I, one thing it's mentioning worth mentioning as we round this out is, you know, one obvious message we're probably gonna get from the audience is like, why not bring on a trans person to talk about this? Uh, and we put this together last minute. But if we have audience members who are a member of that community, which I'm very, very sure we do, either send in a voicemail, send us a note if you want to participate in this discussion, because we do want to represent the community most directly affected by this uh, in this conversation. Well, today's program is brought to us by Athletic Greens, just my favorite company in the whole wide world. They're the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition really simple. It is no secret that I love taking this stuff. AG1 by Athletic Greens is the category-leading superfood product, and they bring you comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition. They keep up with the research, and this is so much better than taking a bunch of pills and capsules, which can be really hard in your stomach and really hard to keep up with, and super expensive, by the way. So to help each of us be at our best, they simplify the path to better nutrition by giving you the one thing with all the best things. 
So join the movement of athletes, life fleets, moms, dads, rookies, taking ownership of their daily health and focusing on the nutritional products that they really need in the simplest manner possible. That's essential nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com majority today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com majority to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. I know a lot of people are starting to plan travel around the world, especially as we enter the winter. And thankfully, you've got Babbel, which is the number one selling language learning app. And that can help you not only just get to your destination, but actually be able to speak to people. And they have bite-sized lessons and you'll learn new language skills that you can actually use in the real world. That's what I love about them. They're so practical. From greetings, menus, and directions to gaining a deeper understanding of culture, Babbel is a travel essential. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching methods have been scientifically proven to be effective, and with Babbel, you could choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. So right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use the promo code MAJORITY54. That's Babbel.com, code MAJORITY54. Babbel, language for life. All right, well, let's talk about our favorite wonder drug, ivermectin. We talked, I think it was now two months ago plus, about ivermectin. And in that segment, I said Democrats were making a huge mistake in, not all Democrats, but some people on the left were making a huge mistake by calling anybody who used ivermectin a user of horse dewormer. And my point was not everybody taking this and not even most of the people taking it were taking the horse version of it. There's a human form of it and we could have a debate about its effectiveness, which I'll come back to at the end because I have a big clarification to make there. But this, you know, predictably blew back in the face of at least one major network. Edie, let's play this clip of Sanjay Gupta going on Joe Rogan and getting pulverized, I think, by Rogan and then eventually his fan base. You think I want that to, that's a problem that your news network it was not, lies? Well, I don't. I don't. Th- Dude, I mean, what did they say? They lied what did and they said say? I was taking horse dewormer. First of all, it was prescribed to me by a doctor. Yeah, yeah. Along they with shouldn't have said a it was bunch of if, other if medications. Was, if you got a human pill, because there were people that were taking it, the veterinary medication, and I, you're not obviously, you got it from a doctor, so that it shouldn't be called that. Can I just come back to the one I want to talk about? I, two, no, no, two, no, no, two no, things no. on you the ledger. To, you have before we get to that. Does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lied, well, just outright lied about me taking horse dewormer? They, they they shouldn't have said that. Why did they do that? I don't know. You didn't ask. You I, didn't think that was your. You're the medical guy over there. I didn't ask. I should have asked before. But they coming did it the with podcast. such glee. No, yes, they did. I watched. They hung Sanjay Gupta to dry that. That's it. Okay. There was a there was a uh, Fox News lead in that said Gupta. What about Poopta? And I was deeply offended. What uh, about Poopta? I was like, just he just let all the Guptas down. Uh, well, wait, did it really say that? I missed. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. There was not on that clip, but it was a different clip. Oh, but, good uh, God. That's, not, that's like, speak, we just did a whole segment on speaking like, of a, you can get away with more when you're funny. You know, that's not the first time I heard that joke. Uh, but by the way, try being Yuri Gupta, Yurin Poopta, which is my brother's name. <laughs> no! It's just terrible as a child. But uh, 
Well, this is really just my opportunity to say I was right, but um, there was something I got very wrong about this, which I'll get to in a bit. But I think this is frustrating because here's an opportunity for Sanjay Gupta to go on Rogan's show, which has been a place where there has been some vaccine misinformation being spread, or at least an imbalance of skepticism against the vaccines with a very, very big audience. But the story becomes the viral moment, and this is very, 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 very viral, this video, the viral moment is about Sanjay and CNN being dishonest, although I, I think Sanjay is kind of caught between them on this, instead of what it should be about. And it's just frustrating. I'm not frustrated with Rogan here. I'm frustrated with CNN for not being able to resist this, you know, not being able to resist a cheaper story. Yeah. Like, I mean, when the story seemed to be people are taking horse dewormer instead of the vaccine, it's very tempting to go tell that story to an audience that wants to hear that story in large part about people who they consider them. We talked about this when we when we talked about this subject, we talked about there is a natural and not helpful tendency to want to look at people who disagree with you as not smart as, as you want to, it makes you feel superior to them. And that's what a story that says people are taking horse dewormer instead of the vaccine does for an audience. And they want, they want it. And CNN gave it to them. I mean, part of the issue here is there are people taking horse dewormer. Rogan just wasn't one of them. So I think what he was frustrated mm -hmm. with was that they said he was taking horse dewormer to be clear, like people who are taking horse dewormer. Oh, they did. I, I didn't even know they yeah. said, they said that about Rogan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was and just the dumb. worst part is, I mean, he was prescribed it by a doctor. So it wasn't even what infuriated me about the situation was people on the left criticizing people on the right for doing things that they didn't necessarily do or criticizing Rogan for doing things he didn't necessarily do, which makes us lose credibility. That said, the study Ravi cited was not debunked. It yeah, was it not was perhaps yeah. all there. Yeah, well, Edie, thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, this is an opportunity to clarify that when we were talking about ivermectin a, a few months ago, I cited a meta study, which is a collection of studies about ivermectin's effectiveness. And one of the points I made was, well, it's possible that this thing actually could work. And at the time, uh, and I'm not sure what the current status is, but it was under review by some major world health organizations about you know clinical trials and all that. But there was one meta study, a collection of studies that said, hey, this could work potentially. Uh, one of the studies, from what I understand, in that meta study was pulled because the data was faulty. I am not sure what that means for the rest of the studies in the meta study, but all I can say is if you went out and took ivermectin or planning to based on that old episode, please don't. Check out the science on your own. Consult your doctor. Yeah, consult your doctor. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was wrong about that study. It might have been debunked by the time we went on air, which if, if it was, I apologize. We but, did get some passionate emails about that, and we do appreciate your feedback and your emails. And please keep doing that. Please, if you don't like something we say, let us know. Give us some feedback. Either way, part of this point still stands, which is that we on the left complain all the time about the fact that the right takes little instances of you know activity on the left and tries to ascribe it to the entire left like for instance they're they're one of my favorites is they are very very fond of taking things like what they call environmental terrorism like people who go in and you know burn down uh like logging facilities and stuff like that and 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 trying to make that the entire like scientific consensus on the left about about global warming and, and saying well like trying to make us own that sort of unlawful activity well, I mean, if we're going to continue to be upset by that tactic of argument, well, we have to acknowledge like we can't take 
things like people going into a store, like a feed store or whatever in Nevada and having to show pictures of their horse and acting like that is the example of everybody who took this drug. I can't think of a good transition for this, but, uh, you know, speaking of horses, no, uh, <laughs> let's talk about Mayor Pete. The current Secretary of Transportation has has come under criticism from the right because he recently announced that he, after the fact, I think, that he had taken two months off for paternity leave because he and his husband uh, adopted a child. And some of this criticism, I think, veered into and probably solidly entered the realm of homophobia. Tucker Carlson said, Pete Buttigieg has been on leave from his job since August after adopting a child. Paternity leave, they call it, trying to figure out how to breastfeed. No word on how that went. But now he's back in office as the transportation secretary, and he's deeply amused, he says, to see that dozens of container ships can't get into this country. I know that this isn't like the biggest story in the world, but I know parental leave is a huge passion of yours, Jason. And this is also like a really mean-spirited, dumb debate that I think is revealing. What, if anything, should we take away from this debate, either substantively, substantively about right-wing opinions on uh, paternity leave or about their just glee about being homophobic? I think that what is so unfortunate about this is it's pretty clear to me that what Pete is trying to do here is not just, you know, be a good parent. I think that's that's number one. And so, I mean, I as an aside, like I talked to Pete on the phone a couple of weeks ago and there was very clearly like like the phone call had to end early because there's a baby crying and like Pete needed to tend to it. Like so like he's on parental leave, like he's trying to be a good parent. And I think at the same time, what he's trying to do is set an example for parental leave generally. I mean, I think I do think it is worthwhile for somebody to say, here's a cabinet member who is saying, like, this is important and people should have the opportunity to do this. Uh, and then I think it's sad that in order to score political points, the right wing wants to then set back the fight for parental leave. I mean, like, I guess, you know, what Tucker Carlson is doing there, uh, among among other things, obviously, there's the homophobia, there's all these things. But there's also like a pretty clear suggestion there that parental leave is maternity leave exclusively. Like that that is a, a 1950s sort of, this is a job of women and, and women only which is problematic in and of itself, obviously, but the constant suggestion that he should be at work, it just calls into question the entire argument for parental leave, which I think is is unfortunate. Candace Owens also tweeted, you know, building out this narrative on the right. Fact, Pete Buttigieg taking two months for paternity leave in the middle of a national transportation crisis is sickeningly pathetic. Privileged times have produced the weakest men that have ever lived in America. Remove this little boy from office. Hashtag bring back manly men. So, like, here's my <laughs> frustration with that is couched in a bunch of juvenile bullshit is a legitimate debate about what how much time a cabinet secretary should take off in the middle of a crisis, right? Like if that were the only debate, man, woman, that's a debate, right? Like if you're in the middle of a, a supply chain crisis and the middle of the infrastructure negotiations, how much time do you take off? That's that's legitimate. People could disagree about that. Why the the man boy and the breastfeeding stuff is thrown in on that? It's like it's like middle school. Like have the substantive debate. Like Jason's saying, this idea that childcare is the purview of women only, you know, it's an age old sort of framing that the right uses is to say that people on the left are 
weaklings, that the men are not masculine, that they're very feminine. And I think that's a harmful idea that we're suggesting that a man taking care of his own child is somehow feminine, that, you know, if a man takes care of his child, it's quote unquote babysitting as opposed to a parental responsibility. It's also, by the way, like, I mean, this is what they do. And I think when people bring this up to our listeners, they should point out that like, this is creating a no win situation for the gay community, for instance, right? Because what's been the argument, like the argument for a really long time against uh, same sex marriage was, you know, well, look, that's not what a family is. And they, they, you know, we want these kids to grow up in a two parent household. Like that was one of the arguments people made What's well, okay. Well, now you have Pete and Chaston who, you know, I happen to know from talking to they, they've been trying to adopt for like a while. <laughs> like, I mean, like most couples who attempt to adopt, like it's a long process. And, and so when they finally got to the point where that came to fruition and they, they became parents and, and here they are like clearly prioritizing parenting, <laughs> like very clearly, like you cannot, one thing you cannot argue is they're not prioritizing parenting. Now we're going to say that, that, that makes them weak. We're going to put all these, I mean, that's, that is a no win, totally unfair argument. And I do think when you were talking to people, it is fair to tell them when their argument is unfair and giving them some historical context on look you you said that these that that same sex couples could not it could not raise children and couldn't prioritize them and that it wouldn't be a two parent household and now you, it's happening before our eyes and you're criticizing them so yeah. which is it yeah if you remember not too long ago they were making fun of AOC and Mayor Pete as like these childless out of touch people it's almost like then they're like okay well not that this is why Mayor Pete had a kid but like he enters that new realm of of having a child and then they're like, well, it's still not good enough. You're still not a part of this conversation. And it's just not on the level. Well, for Grabinoir, I want to plug an organization uh, that I've been uh, working with and helped start over the past couple of years, stemming from the June 2020 protests. I've been working with a bunch of people in New York to start an organization called Second Chance Studios. And it's a nonprofit organization that's employing formerly incarcerated people to do digital media like this podcast. And uh, I'm really proud of Lawanda, who's the CEO, who just launched the first cohort uh, of fellows who are people who've come out of the prison system and who are going to undergo training and then job placement in digital media. So if you like that mission, uh, you can head over to secondchancestudios.org and donate because I know they're still looking to fund not only the completion of this cohort, but uh, the launch of a second cohort. So that's secondchancestudios.org. As always, you can leave us a voicemail, 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. Edie, what, what is your social handle? Please don't plug my social. Let's just redo the social part where you don't plug my oh, social. <laughs> I don't chicken. Any, I don't have any social for people to follow. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh-huh. I'm in the background. That's, parental leave is not weak, but that was weak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cutting this. She didn't want that I smoke. have the power. I'm cutting this part. <laughs> all right. Uh, and our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Uh, remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. Special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? 
For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva Lucas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.